I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Feels good to be back in the studio. No, you've been, you've been gone. Wow. We've both kind of been gone. We've just used the magic of technology. Uh, we've been on the road, and that's been really good. But I think in the midst of all of that, as fall is rolling in, we've been having some conversations about family and rhythms and adventures here at the end of the year, and that's really inspired where we're going today. Yeah, a lot of these podcasts come out of sitting at a desk, looking across at each other, and asking the question, if right now you could sit down with and we'll list sort of a, a key cadre of our peeps. If you could sit down with Spencer, Tom, Leo, etc., etc., what would you say to them right now? Mm-hmm. And most recently, it had to do with the amount of effort that we actually invest in the life, not just personally, but the life of our marriage and the life of our family. Right. Yeah. Uh, The examples that that even started with were there seems to be this time in the afternoon where Susie and I just start weighing the cost to joy ratio of doing something with our kids. And obviously I get home in the afternoon from work. And so it's, you know, 430 or something. And we kind of look at each other and go, well, could we get over to the zoo really quick before that closes? Could we go for a walk to the park? And we just start doing this like spreadsheet in our heads of what's going to take the right amount of effort for some joy without too much cost. And as the day progresses, we start sort of throwing things out the window of like, that's too hard. That's not going to be worth it. And I know on more than one occasion, we've ended up not doing much. Um, I, I love our walks around the neighborhood. Don't get me wrong. And I love going to the park and our daughter can't for some reason say the letter S. And so it's wing, wing, and wants to be pushed on the swing for, I don't know, a whole week straight. Um, and those are great moments. I don't mind those, but there does seem to be this weird, almost sterile way of approaching joy and life on behalf of the family and I don't know, a willingness to throw things out the window of, well, that's going to be too difficult. That was surprising. Yeah, I think the way that I've recently framed it is recognizing there's a difference between naming a change in seasons and shifting into survival mode. And the impulse, I think, especially as the 20s go on and things mount, is survival mode. The more and more defaults you can have, the better. And the easier those defaults are to execute upon, the more easily you'll survive Which is crazy, one more right? day. Because I think if you were to ask any number of college graduates or high school kids, like, what's the thing that you maybe fear the most? And uh, they'd be like, I don't know, being alone or failing or 
know, Russia invading global or famine. Like, yeah, right. And once you get past all of like the things that fiction and uh, basic human lizard brains tell you to fear major existential threats <laughs> you would get to this point of well I, I think I'm afraid of drifting on autopilot and waking up quote unquote sort of coming to and it's been 10 20 years and I've just been on survival mode yeah this is where this has happened for me in real time we've got a two-year-old as of a couple weeks from now meaning she turns two she's not appearing and Every year that I've been married is like every year that I get older and I just, it feels so good. It just feels like, oh man, now I can say I've been married for it's five like years. Now I can say I've been 10 years. Look at what I have accumulated. Hopefully not like exactly like that. But kind but of, it, has, it smacks you, but You're not wrong. And so the reality in this season is things have slowed way down and our world has shrunk. Those are both positives. A family is requiring a bunch of effort, keeping life alive in sort of the romance of a marriage in that season is looks very different than the motorcycle rides and the weekend adventuring of early marriage and pre-kids life. And as it has gone on, there's been this, well, a desire to accept and step into the changing season. Yes, Right now, the romance is a walk to the park with Ailish, and right now, dates are at home a lot, and there's a positive expression of that. And then, like a lot of things, I will take uh, something true, like our season is shifting, and I will turn it into a law, apply it everywhere, and then it ends up doing harm. And where I've kind of turned it into a law is like simple, local, and sort of attainable. That's what my life has to look like right now. That's what our family joy has to look like right now. But what it ends up doing is feeding into the part of me that just feels strapped and Mm. needs things to be as simple as possible. Otherwise, I'm just totally stressed out of my mind all the time. Right. It's the the infection of, to use popular lingo, uh, the orphan mentality. Like the way that we approach our budget right now is very intentional and, uh, you know, we're allocating every dollar. Because if you listen to our episode with uh, Jesse Meekum, you know, that's important. And Giving it a job, man. It, uh, it's easy to do when there aren't that many of those dollars. Um, but that feeling of like trimming off any excess and waste has bled into our willingness to do something joyful that feels like it's going to have, I don't know, too much time in the car to get there or too many hurdles or just there's going to be too much suffering and it's not going to be worth it. And so I end up shrinking the, both the, like the hopes and the actions of things for joy for my family. Um, and it happens with friendships too, but I think this one's more like family oriented. But to give an example of how it's applying in friendships, there's a guy who sent us an email um, along with a couple other guys to an invitation to go do a weekend away and be creative and write and smoke cigars and have that time. And I looked at the email for about five seconds before I just was 
totally writing it off. It didn't matter when it was, didn't matter for how long it was, but is that like, oh, there's no way it's going to happen. Like, I don't have the margin for that. feels like I barely have the margin for my family right now. And so, nope. And it's that same kind of mentality of like, this is too difficult. This is too much. When it might not actually have been too difficult or too much, or it might very well be worth fighting for. So for Susie and I, a red flag came up recently where we realized we had not done like a date since August. And that was, you know, like last week. And so we've hit October. That's just, that's over a month. That's not like the end of the world. But it feels like a very long time when you see that person every day and you realize that a date, large or small, is really important for our connection and our marriage and our ability to parent and love our kids well. There's that psychological study that many of them now actually um, that point to for children's well-being and sense of security, they need to know that the mom and dad love each other more than they need to know that the mom and dad love them. There's that fundamental need to not be the center of the universe for kids. And Susie and I want to provide an environment for them that it's not always focused on them. And they know that we love each other and we do. And we need to begin like modeling that as well and taking care of that. It was just really easy to like have a month go by and go, oh man, we haven't spent any time Really, it was just the two of us because we put the kids to bed and we try to stay up and all of a sudden it's 8.30 and we're both falling asleep. Tim Keller, he has a point that I really like that's important to this conversation. And it's simply, if there are two ways to err and you think that one is worse than the other, you're probably committing the other much more deeply than you think. And so in this conversation, there's two relational ways to err that we're talking about. And one is... Uh, you're going all the time, you're available to everything. The other is, you're never going, you're available to nothing. And I tend to think that going all the time is way worse than going none of the time. It's not true, but I think that. And the helpful tool is that I'm actually uh, further into not going enough than I think I am. Like, I think I'm closer to a healthy average than I really am. Hmm. And so, you know, to our to our listeners who happen to err the other way, all of these tools are useful for you. And so, you know, I go, there are two options right now in the life of my marriage. And one is, I'm just trying to be the hero and I'm trying, everything is extravagant and I'm trying to be romantic and I'm picking up flowers every day on my way home from work and I'm coming up with ways to engage my wife's heart and it's go, 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 go. And most people would look at that and go, that looks a little extreme. And I go, but I go, yeah, that's so extreme. Like the thing is, is like daily life, being available to my family, working in the house together, watching Ailish so that M can get time with God. It's these simple daily actions and go, okay, I think that I'm actually closer to a healthy average than is true. I'm actually much deeper into that. And the way that that's become clear recently is Jesus has started giving specific instructions about doing harder things for a higher payoff specifically for the life of my romance with my wife. So we recently were in the UK. There was a boot camp there. 
the Ransom Tart men's team went over and sort of naturally we thought, oh, what if we took this opportunity and Ailish is still under two, traveling still comparatively easy. What if you came over? My hard default was to go, that sounds exhausting. And no, and it's not the right season. And we really, really need a new washing machine, <laughs> like laughably so. And I'm like, you shouldn't come to Scotland. We should get that washing machine we need. I know. So talk about romance, baby. Uh, you know, Sam, I like, like to think clean underwear to practicality is up. also romantic. And praying into it and having Jesus go like, no, you go for the life of your marriage. Do this like difficult, rare thing because the payoff is going to be so high. You have this forever. You have this family adventure forever now. And it took a lot for me to actually be willing to do that because my defaults veer so hard the other way. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, Eminelis did end up coming. It ended up being difficult, but not that hard, not that much harder than everyday life. We're not going to travel internationally every year now by any stretch of the imagination. But there was this kind of aha moment of, wow, how many places am I actually giving up higher order joys simply because it looks to me like it's not the right season and it looks to me like the cost is too high. Right. I remember you mentioning actually about that trip that you would go in and out of different postures and really, a lot of this episode is about examining kind of your inner posture in regards to whether or not something is kind of worth it. Um, and you were you're saying every time you were traveling this on this last trip, then you'd compare it to traveling by yourself. It was really brutal because for those of us who have been able to travel solo, that's a, that can be a really enjoyable experience, especially as you enter into life with kids and you look back on that time and you go, wow, I just got to sit there. I didn't have to move my hands if I didn't want to. I didn't have to get up and chase my toddler around the plane for eight hours. I just, I got to watch movies, take a nap, have a little wine. Man, it was like a vacation in the air. And that was the worst part of the trip was the travel. And when you compared travel with your daughter to that, it was brutal. But when you compared it to just everyday life now, it was, oh no, this is this is what our rhythms are these days. And that's not bad. It's not meant to be compared to what it's like to be alone. And actually it's much richer now that you're like exploring these places that you've loved and bringing your daughter and your wife into it. And there's that, the way that you are thinking about it and your internal posture has massive ramifications upon how you feel about even the flight, let alone whether the trip is worth it. Yeah. And I started seeing this everywhere. So there are friends of mine that go camping regularly, just married couples, no kids. And then there are married couples, no kids that never go camping. And pretty sure, based on conversations, that the distinction between them is that the couples that go camping have realized this is actually not that much harder than just everyday life. It's so attainable. And the couples that don't go are the ones that go, everyday life is hard enough and we're barely above water. So let's just stay inside the ordinary where we're at least surviving and going, 
you're not actually surviving. Ooh, yeah. You're, so s- you're slowly declining. <laughs> your ears and your lips are, are above waterline. That's about like all you've got going on. Right. And you're sinking because you're not actually, you're not recovering heart on a regular basis. Right. And, and I, like I put it everywhere, a trip to go hiking solo is much easier than a trip to go hiking with a good friend because you have to wait for the good friend. And they're not ready. And if the good friend happens to be, let's say, like a spouse, you have to wait for that person maybe a long time to get out the door. And you can, I can pick the wrong level of comparison and go, man, running up to Cheyenne Canyon to do a run is much simpler as a solo person. But to go, yeah, but actually, you know, hiking as a couple isn't that much harder than living as a couple, and you're living as a couple, so this is more attainable than you think. And traveling with a family is harder than traveling solo, but traveling with a family is actually not that much harder than everyday life as a family. For example, the constant creativity that it felt like a 10-hour flight with a toddler required. You know, she's awake the whole time, and about six of those hours she was running laps around the airplane, and it was like, wow, this is so intense. And I had to keep reminding myself, if you were at home, you would be doing the exact same thing. These are running like, around the airplane that's inside your house. Yeah, running running laps on your house, reading through all the library books, reading through them all again, coming up with the next activity mm-hmm. to keep this chip afloat, and just going. It's true. We don't have the home court advantage. It is incrementally more difficult than what this would be like anyway, but it is so attainable. And this is kind of the shift of like, oh my gosh, I really think there's more like life available for us in this season, but my defaults are keeping me from it. And here's another of the major takeaways of this conversation. Find every place that you're just in survival mode uh, and just sort of relabel survival mode, slow death mode. Yeah, actually, that's what I was thinking as well of places where you're just trying to get by. And it's like to introduce anything else is just impossible because there's not the margin and everyday life is hard enough or whatever it is. And to go, what about the scenario if it never changes is going to rescue you from this very scenario? The thing that you just described, the thing that I've experienced of... Well, it's get up, do the diapers, get the kids dressed, do breakfast, do the diapers again, clean up from breakfast, uh, do a few things, and then it's nap time, then it's laundry, and then it's grocery shopping, and then it's diapers again, and then it's go for a walk, and then it's make dinner, and then it's clean up from dinner and put kids to bed, and there's not more time in the day to do these other things and to go like well yeah a lot of days can really fly by for us um and we kind of feel like we're just putting our nose to the grindstone to get through something um i find myself getting really kind of riled up about this the other day it was to the wrong person and and the person was trying to be kind and saying like well it's gonna get easier sometime soon like you just have to look forward to like the weekend or you know, the day that you don't have to do as much interaction with the kids. Maybe it's you get back to work on Monday or whatever it is. Maybe it's when the kids are out of diapers. And there's kind of this thing that's like held out there of, oh, if I just do this 
for a little while longer, then I can look forward to this next thing. And I find myself really pushing back against it because of a couple of reasons. One, for all the parents out there, everybody has thought this. Everyone that I've talked to, so if you're a parent and you haven't felt this way, please let me know. You'd be the first of this idea that we're waiting for the thing to kind of get slightly easier, like when they're out of diapers or when they can walk a little bit and they don't have to keep carrying them everywhere or when they can talk and express their things. It just keeps going. It just keeps getting more complicated. And then, then they're in middle school and you're wrestling with technology and sex and their peers and homeschooling. And then they're in high school. Things are not getting easier. It does not get... Then you look back and go, man... But before you were able to crawl and I could just put you on the bed and leave you there for 20 minutes, that was easy. And you're like, wait, don't, okay, that was 16 years ago now. Like this idea of it getting easier and waiting for that moment is a form of autopilot survival mode that's just not helpful and not true, at least from what I've heard, because I haven't got there yet. And the second piece of why I got so riled up about it was it's this posture, uh, if I'm waiting for the thing to get easier even if it's for the weekend of like oh, i just gotta get through today or even if it if it's like a screaming fit of 30 minutes and you're like okay well susie's gonna get home from work in an hour i'm essentially trying to skip that present moment as much as possible whether it's an hour or a weekend or a week or a flight or a season of my kids lives where they're still in diapers and not potty trained i am doing my best to mentally think and project myself into a time where this is not the case. Have you guys have all seen the terribly cheesy movie Click with Adam Sandler? Not everybody has seen that movie. I think Thank everybody God. has. Fortunately, you've a lot seen of it. If you it. well, here's basically the premise. That's what you're doing. Like you are trying to skip and fast forward through things. Um, it's a terrible movie, anyway. But uh, I've just found that like. If I'm doing that, I, I'm putting myself in a position where I'm going to miss portions of my family's life, of my kids' lives. I'm going to put my happiness in a future moment rather than in like eternity or God. And that moment's going to disappoint you if you're just looking forward to the weekend or to the next round of golf or something. And I don't want to have that posture. Like it, the idea of nose the grindstone survival mode thing. Like if nothing of what is going on is going to change. What is you're not going to feel better eventually. You're going to sink eventually. Things are going to get worse and probably much sooner than you think. And so that's been this again. There's a lot of things there that get me all kind of. You, know, you can imagine kind, postured person being like, "Well, it's going to be. You just get through that, and then it's going to be okay." And I kind of go, "I don't want that posture for a variety of reasons." And no, it's not going to get easier unless I'm choosing things for my family. That's going to be hard, but that's sort of the point. It's funny because we recently had a conversation around a table, and it was at the last uh, Ransom Tart event. Every stage happens to be currently represented in sort of the Ransom Tart team when it comes to family life, just like the men's team. And it's like, wow, we have everything from very young kids to grown kids with their own kids and it was just so helpful to be able to go around the circle and go like is the next one easier and you know turn to your left and go what about toddlers nope turn to your left and what about teens nope turn to your left and what about college kids nope and what about kids that are grown be like nope like there's no future where this is different so the question is obviously what's there for in view of that 
and the promise from Jesus that there is life available, there is life abundant in your season. I had two contrasting friends in college, one of whom his mantra, one of his relational dictums was never don't do something just because you'll be tired. And I'm like, that's a good way to do more things. Never like, don't do something. I know, it's a double negative. So you're... like you can, the person goes, if the only thing at stake is your fatigue, do it anyway. Naturally, this was a very uh, tired, fast moving person. And then I had the friend on the opposite spectrum who was like, yeah, when I get asked about something, the first question I ask myself is, will this make me tired? <laughs> oh, gosh. I just loved it because you could look at those two ways and go like, okay, so obviously you're asking the wrong question if those are the only available alternatives and go like a much better question is what will this do for the life of my soul? And like, what will happen to me if I don't do this? You can look at your close friendships and go, what will happen if we never take that great adventure together? There's a depth of relationship that you need that you will never experience. And in your marriage, what will happen if we never do like the expensive date or the very difficult date? What if we never take that big trip and go, there are sort of major consequences to that inside the love story of a marriage. There are things that you are designed to be a part of your everyday life that you really are sacrificing and missing. And this can be so simple as someone who wears on the side of like not available enough. Too much of the theology of the ordinary in my case, creates a scenario where guys are going up on a mountain, going to have a fire, uh, smoke cigars, like spend some time together. I'll look at that and go, oh, sorry, just not available to that. And it has taken some, some real redirection in this season to go, oh, actually, there are relationships in my life that need that kind of thing. And they're not what they should be and need to be for the life of my heart by never saying yes to those things. So it's been a set of intentional conversations with a few people recently to go, let's go ice fishing. Yep, young kids at home, not saying we're going to be gone every weekend. I'm saying we need to go ice fishing and it needs to be an overnight. And and that reflects the season we're in and is a real need. And like with M, granted, this was three months ago now, but there's sort of like the nice restaurant in town. And every time there's like, you know, the echelon of the nice restaurant. And it was like, we need to go. And we can be so content and enjoy so deeply cheap takeout from the Mexican place down the street on the back patio that I neglect the need and the additional thing that is the, we're both, we're going to go spend like $121 on a dinner for our marriage and it will be worth it. Yeah, so I think- one of the takeaways for me in the conversation we're having before recording this and in doing this, there's some obvious categories of when it feels like you are just getting through and you want to look at that scenario. Like, yes, there are seasons that are tough and they need to, there needs to be something of like a getting through it and a holding out hope there for when the financial situation changes or something like that. But there's also sort of the, what feels very obvious advice of, if nothing changes, what makes you think you will get free of this season? And 
Then there's like the the slightly less dramatic version that I think we've been experiencing of, well, we're we're kind of nose to the grindstone and weighing whether things are too much because we have only like a little bit to offer in regards to finances or in regards to things with our kids or with our wives. Um, and I think we've been looking at the fruit of saying no to a lot of things that look hard. And the fruit of it is like, yeah, well, you know, kind of tired and kind of feeling the same. It's it's the same formula. It's just less dramatic. And to go, oh, this is going to feel so obvious, but do the difficult thing because you might actually experience more life there. And I think obviously we're inviting like Jesus into that. It's not necessarily sell the house, buy the sprinter van, but it might be. It might be Susie. That might be the answer for us. Sometimes it's the answer. About four or five times a year. The Sprinter Van? Yeah. I need a Sprinter Van. This piece that you name is sort of the core piece of this conversation, which is action reveals belief 100% of the time. And ultimately, our actions reveal our beliefs about final questions like, who is God right now in this season? Who am I... In response, what is our what is the quality of our relationship? And for the person who embraces the lifestyle of maturity, it's very easy to go, I and the person like working for the life of my heart, and and that's good, but it, oh my gosh, can it veer into a lack of abundance, a lack of resources? I wrote an article on like things are hard. This is an important reality. We're made to be trained by hard things, to rule over hard things, and we come alive in the process. The next article I wanted to write is, by the way, God is abundant. Mm -hmm. Like, this is actually the first reality that makes things being hard okay. If it was like, things are hard, but don't worry, like there's icing on the cake, that would be a miserable world. If you go, the first things that we learn about God are that he's wonderful and abundant and generous. And then when you read difficulty through that, it absolutely changes your world. So me surviving the every day again and again, it shows this belief about God of there's some kind of distance, whether he's physically distant, like not involved waiting for me to sort of fulfill my role in my isolated sphere, or he's sort of at He's at the finish line of of some like get through the day and then you'll have like your reward in Christ. <laughs> but being like, what like what does it look like to accept the ordinary in a rich way? To start with the belief that like we have an abundant Father, present and invested, sort of ready for extravagant joy, ready to you know I love how often. The psalmist will talk about you crown the year with your plenty. You're this language of abundance and a kind of extravagance that's always available. It really can shift my posture out of survival mode going, survival mode is based on rationing limited resources, declining resources over some imaginable time frame. And it's very different to go, what would it look like? to assume everything is available for me and there are real invitations into more life that I can step into in confidence that God is waiting there and will honor it. <laughs>